Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. Today, I am sitting down with Mark Hirschberg, or Hershey. He is the creator of Brain Bump and the author of the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Mark has spent his career launching, developing new ventures at startups and Fortune 5,000 or 500 companies and in academia. He uh, helped to start the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, dubbed MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he teaches annually. He also works with many nonprofits, currently serving on the board of Plants a Million Corals. Mark, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure to be here. So we were talking in the green room. Um, for all of, these, all of you that don't know, like in TV, like that's where you get to talk to the actors and the talent and things before you go on, making sure what to say, what not to say here. And this was more so of like getting your experience um, from your, the tech side of things. And so I think the listeners out there, Mark has a wealth of CTO experience with lead gen companies and CX models and UX models and all this kind of stuff. But before we start out, you have this fantastic product called Brain Bump. And so wanted to know your experience of, you know, why did you create Brain Bump? And what are the lessons that you've learned from since the, uh, since the creation? Brain Bump is an app I first envisioned about two years ago. When I put out my book, there was a challenge. The challenge was word of mouth marketing doesn't work if people don't remember your book. And how often do we read a book? We say, this is great. And then it just fades into the distance a week or two after you're done reading it. Likewise, for my years of teaching at MIT and elsewhere, I know my students, as soon as the class is over, they quickly forget everything we taught them. And so it benefits both parties, both the reader and the author, for people to better remember what's in the book. There's an inherent problem as well that where we read information isn't where we need information. So for example, one of the chapters in my book is on networking. You're probably reading the book sitting at home, but you're going to need those networking tips two months later when you're walking into a conference and you'll probably have forgotten it by that time. So the good news is there's this alignment on both sides that both the content creator, I say that because we work not just for books, but books, podcasts, blogs, classes, talks, all sorts of content. The content creator wants the content consumer to remember it, and the content consumer wants to remember it. When I recognized there was this missing piece, I said, well, there must be some type of app out there to help people remember what they read and hear. And I looked around, and I was shocked that didn't exist. And fortunately, being an engineer, being someone who's built tech startups, I said, well, here's a problem. I can solve it. And so what we did, it's similar to other apps out there, but subtly and importantly different. There are, for example, flashcards apps out there. And we know flashcards, spaced repetition is a way to remember things. But what makes us unique is first, our content creators put in the majority of the content. We're gonna roll it away where the app users can add their own, but we're going to give them the preloaded content, which is rare. You normally only get that when you have the MCAT flashcard or the SAT flashcard for very specific things. But then also the way the app works, there is an optional daily notification, just a daily push. The user doesn't even have to open the app where the user says, you know what, at 9 a.m. as I walk into the office, I want to get a management tip or a work tip because that's relevant to me here and now. We don't push out notifications when they're not requested because that gets annoying, but we let the content consumer pull 
relevant information to them when and where it matters. And that creates a better experience for them because the information is always relevant as opposed to social media or email lists. It's always relevant in this context and they get that positive association with the brand. And that's what didn't exist in the marketplace. That's what we created with Brain Bump and we've been growing ever since. I, I love your articulation as well as your linear thought problem of telling the story. It's very, it's very much an engineer, but I love it because I think the same way as an engineering mind. Like, just tell me the if then, this is how we're going to get to it. But I loved how you, you know, thought of a problem like, okay, I'm going to do my research and go into the market space and kind of look at things. And, it, and it's very much articulation of even your experience with lead gen companies that we've noticed over the years that lead gen companies, you know, you're being a CTO of several lead gen companies that it's almost spray and pray, or you're like, you just blast out to people and all these things and you don't uh, allow personalization to happen. And you're allowing personalization to happen by allowing the user or the consumer saying, this, here's the opportunity of where you want to consume and how you want to consume it and where you want to consume it. And so, you know, can you like let the audience know about your experiences kind of going through this as well as how can companies or even marketers or sales folks or whoever, even in HR with jobs, like how can they do lead generation or even demand generation better? First, I'm going to jump on my soapbox and talk about the problems I experienced on the other side. So as you know, it, I've been at lead gen companies, B2B, B2C. I've been at ad tech companies. So I'm used to how do we get eyeballs, get people to see us, and then hopefully click and convert. But as a CTO, I'm also a target. People say, oh, he's got budget. He has authority. And if he has needed time and great, I can sell to him. And I get spam every single day. I'm not talking Nigerian princes. That gets knocked out by a spam filter. Every day I get stupid, annoying salespeople who hit me up and say, hey, we have something to make your team more efficient, or we have this tool for you, or we have this service, we have this product. Every single day, literally 10 times a day, I get the spam on email, on LinkedIn. I have a note on my LinkedIn saying, don't send me vendor stuff, I still get. Now, what's happening here and why I get really annoyed is someone is saying, my time is more valuable than your time. It's as if I said, you know, I've got a used car to sell. Boy, there's lots of people could use that. I'm just going to go through the phone book and call people up and say, hey, Alice, listen, I got this used car. Are you interested? Why are you calling me? Well, you, know, you never know. Maybe you're in the market for a used car. I'm just trying to help you. Bullshit you're trying to help yourself. And that's what all these salespeople are doing. They are just saying, I'm going to spam as many people as possible to see if I can sell them something and hit my quota. Half the time, if they spend any time looking at my profile, they'll see this is not technology we'd use. This is not relevant, but they don't care because the thinking is they have these tools where they can spray and pray and they'd rather waste 10 seconds of my time where I see the email, I go, oh, this is annoying, delete, block, and I have to do a context switch from this email to the next email. They don't mind if I pay that cost because they've got the time to burn. And there's a terrible way to first engage your customer saying, I'm going to risk wasting your time because your time's not as valuable as mine. In fact, what we want to do is be more targeted. Now we all want to do that. And one way is through lead generation. 
and content marketing works well for this. So at some of the content marketing companies, some of the lead gen companies I've been at, we put out content as a lead magnet. So you're all probably familiar with, you put out <clears throat> valuable content that people want to download. So we would have, for example, top 10 things to look for when buying a firewall. Who the heck wants to read that? The only people doing it, or 95% of them, are people actually looking at buying firewalls. And then, of course, we'd gate it saying, we'll send this to you, but of course, we'll capture your information. That's fine. Now you're doing a value exchange. So I'm saying, I need this information. Okay, you're going to charge me my email. You're going to charge me. I'm going to get a little bit of sales pitches from you. That's okay. I'm willing to trade that. But it comes from the fact that we are offering value in exchange for this engagement. And unfortunately, too much marketing, it's just taking value. It's these salespeople taking my time, which is valuable, taking the time of the customer, annoying people, and that's not a good way to start. You, you hit it on the head. Um, I think that's it, it becomes annoying. It be, you, you start having bad experiences going through that or how companies, if you notice bigger tech companies that we're relying on those sales capacity models of like, let's just do a lot of outbound versus like, let's learn inbound stuff of what the customer actually wants and who actually is interested in what we're doing rather than we're assuming that they're interested in our product. And so you've had a lot of dealings with um, the customer experience, especially with like changes to mobile and websites, things that are happening uh, where that's that that's the house of where marketing and sales lie. I think is like that's that is the marketing product. It's not necessarily a product. It's the marketing product of how do we talk about the product. And so can can you talk a little bit more about your experience with you know your engineering background of like the the difference between that like adding value and like value creating things versus the spray and pray of like just jamming demand gen down people's throats from, from more of an engineering lens, more of a website and mobile lens. Well, I'll first start with Brain Bump as an example. Now the app, as I mentioned, we have content, we have tips that come from these books, blogs, podcasts, and other sources. And we have the app users who want to consume that. Well, I have lots of people on both sides who this would potentially be good for all sorts of authors, all sorts of podcasters, and anyone who listens to podcasts like you folks and anyone who reads books and wants to remember it, well, there's lots of people I can potentially spam. First, I will not do that. I do not do cold outreach. Even when I think, oh, that author, that book, that podcaster, this would be great for the app. They'll get so much value. I will not do that cold outreach because I don't want to annoy them. Now, I might get an introduction, I might meet someone to do a podcast and then we start having conversations, but I don't want to spam people. I know that slows down my sales process, my onboarding, my user growth, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. I know what it's like to get all that spam and I don't want to be that person. Now, what I'm doing with the app is first, I'm not spamming people. And yes, this could help you with your podcast, but I don't want to bother you. If this just might not be the right time for it, you will tell me. Hopefully you'll hear about me when I speak about on podcasts, when I put out things on social media and you say, well, that sounds interesting. I'm getting a lot of word of mouth marketing, which is helpful and word of mouth, which is what we all love really comes from value creation. People say, Hey, I read this great book. I heard this great podcast. 
because they got something valuable and they want to share it with others. And so it begins with that value creation. With the app itself, everything now is free. The app itself, completely free. We are not currently charging any of the content people to be on it. Down the road, we may charge for a premium version of the app. We may charge for certain functionality for content creators to be on it, all TBD. But right now, everything is completely free, which means, of course, I'm spending money, in this case, my money, to build the app, to host the app, to market the app, all out of my pocket. But that's because I've built a lot of startup companies. And first, I'm going to create value for both sides. And once I've created value and people say, this is a great app, this is so useful. It's useful for marketing my content. It's useful for me to consume and remember content. Then I can say, look, I got to get paid somehow. I got to cover my costs here. Here's what we're charging. But people will be open to doing it because they'll recognize how valuable it is. So I'm beginning with the concept of let me create value and then I can charge for it. And I'll add one other note here because very commonly in pitches, People say, we'll give you a 30-day trial of this tool. You get to use it for free. We'll give you all this stuff. It is never, never free. You may not charge me a penny, but it is not free because I have to have my team learn your product, install your product, configure your product, try your product, tweak your product. That is expensive to me. And we have other things we're doing. So even when you think this is a free trial, if it takes more than two seconds, then there is a cost. And I have to consider that when I'm evaluating what you're offering. This rings very true. I had some conversations uh, talking to several tech companies kind of going through things. And the chat was like the professional services side of all these tech companies, like Salesforce lost a third of their professional services income. HubSpot lost half. Most companies are in the negative because most of their customers are not out of the implementation phase. They're like, yeah, this is a great system. It can do a lot of things, but we're still just starting out with things. We're not, we haven't implemented enough to scale it and actually use what we're learning to get the most out of it. And I had a really great conversation with uh, a company um, that's an automation tool. And a lot of their stuff that you're talking about is they, they relied on inbound. They didn't have any sales team, nothing. They relied on inbound but they focused on how to make the processes easier. Then they facilitated and built everything else around their premise. You know, when money investment comes along the way, they kind of lose their way a little bit, but they've, they've regained it after their um, several, several different series coming down the line saying, oh man, like we need to get back to what's been tried and true for us and tried and true relating to our customers. And so no more grilling questions here, but I bet you have some really awesome stories um, underneath the, what's been happening. I mean, within your career as well as just brain bump. So this is kind of the floor now to share your story about, you know, value creation. Um, probably dive in a little bit more about the soapbox stuff that you experienced as well as, you know, just kind of shining the light, your insights um, coming from the engineering side of things to to people who are in sales and marketing and, and other and other functions and departments, um, that th there's the the not the kind of, like there's the um, thought process that engineers don't like to talk and they just want to code things, but you do have your thoughts on things, and so this is kind of opening the floor up for you know share your story time. 
I'll share some general background and then tie into some innovative lead gen that I had done at one point in my career and still do actually sometimes. So my general background, I graduated MIT back in the 90s during the dot-com era, began as a software engineer. And early on in my career, I recognized that to become a CTO, it wasn't just about being the best engineer. There were all these other skills I needed, leading, team building, communicating, negotiating, all these skills no one ever taught me. So I began to develop those skills in myself and recognize they're not just for C-level people, they're for everyone on the team down to the interns. So I quickly began to upskill my team as I was developing myself. And around this time, MIT had gotten similar feedback. MIT in talking to companies said, the companies are saying, we want these skills and we can't find them. Now, they're not saying we want these skills just in MIT students or just in engineers. They're saying universally, all the people we hire at all levels, all fields, we want these same skills, but we can't find them because they're not being taught. So MIT was putting together this program to instill these skills into our students. And when I heard about that, I reached out, I said, you know, I've got some content here that I developed for my team. I'm happy to give it to you. I really thought it'd be one and done. That's the value creation, right? I have some value. Let me give it to you. I'm not selling it to you. I'm not, you know, no strings attached. Hopefully this can help. And obviously MIT is a nonprofit, so I certainly didn't mind. And instead, the person running the program said, well, can you help us create more? Which I did. And then he said, what he told me years later is during that process, we have amazing faculty at MIT. We have all these incredible world-class professors who are leaders on negotiating and leading and all these skills. But he said during that process, he saw I was bringing something else to the table because all these great professors, and they really are brilliant and innovative, many of them aren't really practitioners. They may, in fact, they do go and consult to companies, but they're a lot more academic, whereas people like you and I, we are practitioners. And so the director of the program said, you know, you're bringing a different perspective. I think we need that in the class. And so when we launched the class and brought students in, it was no longer just professors, but also people like myself. So we we're balanced between academics and practitioners. And this whole thing, because I just offered value, put me on this path where I've now been teaching at MIT for decades. So I've had this parallel career building tech startups and startups within larger companies but also teaching at MIT and elsewhere. And that led to the book and then to the app. And so by giving away value, I was able to generate new value. And if you know anything about negotiations, when we teach that, because I've referenced that earlier, people go into negotiations with, how do I get the biggest piece of the pie? But good negotiators begin with, how do we make the pie bigger? So even if I claim much more of the pie for me, I've made the pie so big that your tinier slice is still overall bigger for you. And when you develop that mentality and learn how to create bigger pies to generate value for others, this applies to networking, this applies to leading, to negotiations, to everything, learning to create value helps. Now I'll share one story as we close out this question, uh, some innovative lead gen I did. As I mentioned, I get spam all the time from people trying to sell me things. And I recognized when I was at a lead gen company, the people spamming me were potential customers. 
So I'd have someone saying, hey, Mark, we've got this awesome tool. We're going to make you more productive. Well, one of our verticals was tech. So, huh, that's a potential customer. And I would say to these folks, tell you what, you get five minutes of my time. You're going to get five minutes to pitch me. Because if in five minutes you can't convince me a value proposition, it's not worth your full hour-long pitch. But before I get on the phone with you, your CMO needs to give my sales guy five minutes of his time. And we get my sales guy on the phone. We do a five-minute pitch about how we do this lead gen, et cetera. We generated millions of dollars. So I wasn't the sales guy. They get the credit for the sale. But I generated millions of dollars in leads by just flipping the people reaching out to me because I recognized an opportunity. And I still do that, by the way, sometimes in other, other services I do where I realize they're a potential customer. They want to spam me. And we'll set up the meeting. And I just flip the script on them. You hit on something that I've been kind of like lingering on. Uh, I was talking, I had some home fixes this week, talking to my contractor and I asked her, I said about a referral program. I'm like, Hey, I know a lot of people that need your help. Like, how do we do this? And you built something within the company just to do that in the sense that, Hey, if I'm going to listen to your time, connect me and let's build a referral program of like a one-to-one. And so you're basically using, um, your level and, and what you're using to help grow the business. So again, look at the bigger pie versus I think what a lot of companies that get stuck in is they don't know how to, or they look into their short term lens, but they, instead of like looking in the short term lens in their scope or their silo, that's when you can dismantle the silos and literally look at the whole company saying, well, how can I do an exchange? You know, and it's almost a barter system where I love that you're going back to like, um, you know, investment ways of how to do things. And, and you're looking at not in the sense of money, but you're looking in the sense of time. And it's a really wonderful thing that you're looking at that. And so, oh my gosh, I was, I'm learning some things too. Um, obviously MIT comes out with some, uh, some really awesome people. So I'm just going to say that. Um, but moving on uh, to this part of the episode, um, it's, it's less about, you know, what you've done and kind of the person behind why you're doing things, uh, why you're growing things, you know, behind brain bump and everything too. So this is the about you section. So it's more about, you know, your work, hobby and health, you know, why do you do what you do? Um, you've kind of laid some precursors into that of like, what is that? And then what do you do to recharge? Like, what are, what are the things that, you know, reinvigorate you? Um, and then what do you do health wise just to, uh, make sure that you're living a long, um, good life. I'll start with why I do what I do. I am very fortunate to be in a position where I've had enough success that I don't have to chase additional dollars. I don't yet have my own private island. I'm not a billionaire. Yes, more money would still be nicer, but I don't need to say, oh, I need that next $1,000. And that gives me some cushion that lets me do things like offer up value and not worrying about, wait, am I losing out on revenue here? For example, on my books website, other than the book, everything else I give away for free. Whole bunch of stuff, whole bunch of free resources. I could say, you have to hire me and charge me, or you have to buy this package. I don't even gate the stuff with an email. So if we'll probably talk about my website later, whole bunch of free resources, and obviously doing lead gen, I know this business. You say, oh, if you want to download this, sign up for my email list or give me this. I don't want that because I'm not trying to sell you anything more. And I'd rather you take this and you benefit from it, even if I don't get money for it. 
So I'm fortunate to be at a point in my life where I can do that because what's of interest to me, now that I've met the, I can afford my rent, I can afford my food, now I want to have an impact on the world, on my local community, on the world globally, and that's what really drives me is how can I make the world a better place? In terms of hobbies and what I do to recharge, I do this. Now I've had different hobbies over the years. I was a competitive ballroom dancer throughout my twenties, used to travel all over the country. I was a top ranked national uh, dancer and I've had other hobbies and interests, but building brain bump, that's not my primary job. I have actually another startup. That's my primary job and a little bit of consulting and brain bump is the hobby and the book is the hobby and going on podcasts and creating value. Sure, if you buy my book, thank you. If you download the app, great. But if you don't do either of that, but you found this episode valuable, fantastic. I like that. It recharges me because my goal is to help other people. And so doing all this, that really gets me going. I will say uh, two specific things that I've done for years. I do a lot of entertaining or did pre-COVID and that should be picking back up again. I used to host a lot of parties. I used to co-host dinner parties with friends. And so that just lets me connect with people, see people, catch up with friends, meet new people, and really just exchange ideas that keeps my mind going. I also, a couple times a year, I go off to an event similar to TED Talks. It's called Renaissance Weekends. And there I meet a lot of other really fascinating people. And that just gives me all sorts of new ideas, gets me thinking in new ways. And that, while it's tiring, it also recharges me. Uh, regarding health, there I probably don't have any great wisdom. I used to be a regular at the gym. I've had some injuries, so unfortunately I've curtailed uh, the level of gym work. I don't eat as healthy as I should. I've definitely gotten better as I've gotten older. I think Probably the best thing I'm doing there is my girlfriend is very good at eating healthy, and I've been good at picking girlfriends who I know will, we find the partner who can help us do better, not the, you know, I need my mother to cook and clean for me, but the your strength and my weakness kind of align and my strength and your weakness, and we complement each other. And so dating women who are better about eating healthier, I know will pull me in the right direction on my health. Mark, uh, I, I love that. I think you have um, figured out a way in life just to kind of put things together of just trying to figure out how people and their behaviors of how they think. And you adopt it into your own, like ballroom dancing, picking the girlfriends who eat well, um, so that makes you better. But you, you, you are a constant learner. You're, you constantly, like, soak in information. Um, but in, in order to give to the greater good, not for your own benefit, yes, like, you know, you need to keep the lights on and a roof over your head and, and food in your belly. But it's more so of like, how can I how can I help the greater good um, with different things? Um, not just in the companies that you work for, but I, can, I noticed it when you're, you know, even when we talked about the nonprofits you work for and, and extenuate that, that good outside of the realm. So, and also not jamming content down people's throats that you're, you're, you're adding value, value creation to things and not demanding someone else's attention without giving value in return. So Mark or Hirschberg or Hershey, um, thank you so much for being on this episode. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
And to all the converged coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap.